Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Well, what are humans made of? You could say that in the most straightforward sense, we're made up of trillions of cells. Cells that form our bones, tissue, muscles, and organs, all wrapped in this outer layer of skin. Some of us might get a little more spiritual and say that humans are made of flesh and spirit or soul. And if you ask a chemical biologist, they'd say we're made up of oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, and phosphorus. Indeed, more than 99% of the mass of our bodies is comprised of just those six chemical elements. But for me, at least, the most intriguing answer to this question comes from the author of Genesis 2, who says that humans are made from a substance called afar in the Hebrew. So what is afar? You're probably familiar with the traditional translation of Genesis 2-7 from uh, the NRSV or King James Version, which reads, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. The Hebrew word afar has been translated as dust most often. But when Lindsay read the full passage from Genesis a few moments ago, You probably noticed that you didn't hear the word dust. That's because this was from a different translation, from the Common English Bible. It's a relatively new translation, translated it about 10 years ago, and it was done by a team of dozens of biblical scholars uh, from around the world, some of the most highly respected scholars in the world. And I personally love the Common English Bible, or CEB for short. It's the primary translation that I personally use for study because I believe it's the most readable, modern, scholarly translation in the English language. And in the CEB, the word afar, referring to that substance from which humans are made, afar is translated as a different English word, as topsoil. And to understand why topsoil is a better translation of this word afar who better to talk to than the guy who translated it that way that is the scholar who actually translated genesis in the common english bible that scholar's name is reverend dr ted hebert and so this week i zoomed with dr hebert for about an hour to talk hebrew and topsoil (laughs) now full disclosure i know ted Uh, Dr. Hebert taught both Lindsay and me, right? Lindsay and me Hebrew at McCormick Theological Seminary in Chicago before he retired a few years ago. And as an aside, if you want a taste of what a seminary nerd I was, uh, I used to uh, schedule extra Hebrew study sessions with Ted. uh, And we'd study Hebrew together and then we'd walk over to the courts at the University of Chicago to play tennis. Uh, And to go a little further down this biblical Hebrew rabbit hole, 
I also did my own gender-neutral translation of some of these verses from Genesis 2 to read at our wedding about 10 years ago, and I asked Ted to check to make sure that I wasn't doing anything too sacrilegious. <laughs> but I digress. Before I get into some of the highlights of my conversation this week with Dr. Hebert, there's one important contextual detail that I want to give you first. When we think of the creation story in Genesis, what first comes to mind for many of us is the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, the one that starts with, in the beginning, the one where God creates all the universe from a formless void, creating all matter and life day by day until finally creating the first two human beings on the sixth day before resting on the seventh. What you may not know is that the verses we read this morning in chapters 2 and 3 are actually part of a second creation story. The consensus among most mainline biblical scholars is that there are actually three distinct authors of the Pentateuch, which is what we call the first five books of the Old Testament, or referred to in Jewish circles as the Torah. One of those authors is responsible for the seven-day creation story in Genesis 1, but it's another author likely who wrote the story in chapters 2 and 3, and that author is referred to by scholars as the Yahwist, coming from one of the names for God, Yahweh. And even though the seven-day creation story comes first when we open our Bibles, the Yahweh's creation story is actually the older story. When Dr. Hebert was translating the Yahweh's creation story from the, for the Common English Bible, he did so with a particular lens. His hypothesis is that the Yahweh's was quite possibly a farmer, a farmer living in a society full of subsistence farmers in this arid region of modern-day Palestine, Israel, about 3,000 years ago. Indeed, Dr. Hebert has written an entire book about this, painting a picture of the ecological and agricultural landscape of the Yahwist. And so believing the Yahwist to be a farmer, a person deeply connected to the land, Instead of translating verse 7, that God created the first human from the dust of the ground, Dr. Hebert translates verse 7 to read, God formed the human from the topsoil of the fertile land. In other words, like I told the kids, we're made of dirt. And what's funny is that even though the Yahweh story is primeval, that is, it's a pre-scientific, pre-historic origin story. Even, even so, there's a very deep truth in it. Because as it turns out, the same essential chemical elements that we've discovered in the human body are the same elements that we find in healthy soil that makes all life grow. Now, I don't want you to think any less of yourselves because you're made of dirt. Listen, I'm not saying you're nothing but dirt. I'm saying you're dirt. You hear the difference? Because we're not just made from any dirt. We're made from the topsoil of the fertile land, the best of the best. 
We're made from the dirt from which all life comes, the dirt by which God sustains the very creation that God has so lovingly made. Now, before we move on to another verse, there are two other uh, words in verse 7 that I want to point out uh, that take this dirt identity to another level. First, you may know that the Hebrew word for the first human being is Adam, which is, of course, where we get the name Adam from. And the final verse I want to point out in verse 7 is Adama. It's a word that Dr. Hebert translates as fertile land. And you'll notice that Adama has the same root as Adam. And so very poetically then, the Adam is created from the Adama, the human created from the fertile land. And a farmer knows that not all land is created equal. Not all land is fertile land. In fact, in modern-day Palestine, Israel, only about a third of the land is Adama, fertile land with soil good enough to grow crops. And so God created us from that dirt, the best dirt on the best land. But our connection to the soil doesn't even end there. Because when we go further to verse 15, it reads, Yahweh God took the human and settled him in the Garden of Eden to farm it and to take care of it. And so then not only do we come from the soil, but as God's people, we're called to bring forth life from the soil, to farm it and to take care of it. But as someone who grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and who has lived most of my adult life in cities, I know very little about farming and how to take care of the soil. And so it was like phone a friend week. I had to call another friend for guidance this week. And that was my friend, Reverend Matthew Downey, who in addition to being a Presbyterian pastor, is also a farmer. He cares for a patch of fertile land in western Illinois that's been in his family for six generations. 650 acres of USDA-certified organic crops. And so around 9 o'clock this past Wednesday night, I called Matthew for some advice on farming. And you know where he was? In his tractor. After spending part of his day writing his sermon for today, for this Sunday, Matthew was getting ready to spend about five hours pulling a field cultivator over about 100 acres of his farm. I asked him to explain to me what that meant in layman's terms. He said, uh, we call this ripping or chisel plowing. Basically, it's a deep need massage for the soil. It crushes the weeds that are starting to grow up, and at the same time, it's pulling up dirt from the subsoil. He continued saying, after the topsoil has been up in the air for a while, it's gotten the oxygen and the nutrients it needs, and it's healthy but it gets worn thin after a growing season. And this is the way to rejuvenate it. Well, this and pig manure. <laughs> In short, Matthew was taking care of the soil, preparing it for crops to be planted later this spring. If he simply planted seeds again this spring without ripping the soil in this way, his yield would be much lower and lower again the next year. He'd be depleting the soil without giving back to it. 
So sitting in his tractor at midnight on Wednesday, Matthew was fulfilling the ancient vocation that God gave the first human being to take care of the soil. We were created from the soil. God has called us to care for the soil. And finally, in Genesis 3, God says that when we die, we will return to the soil once again. Now, without launching into a second sermon on sin, I want to correct one rather pernicious interpretation of the Yahweh story that has taken root in our church over the centuries on Genesis 3. You may have been taught that God created the first humans in the Garden of Eden to live there forever, but that because of their sin, because of their disobedience and eating the forbidden fruit, God punished them by making them mortal, by declaring that they would one day die and return to the soil. But that interpretation is mistaken, in my opinion. It's a misreading of the story. Paraphrase Dr. Hebert, God created humans mortal from the very beginning. That was always God's intention. The curse in Genesis 3 is not that humans will die. God created us from the soil and we were always meant to return to the soil. Instead, the curse is that our farming, our vocation to take care of the soil and bring forth life from it will be more difficult because of our disobedience. And these verses, according to Dr. Hebert, were almost certainly written this way to explain why it was so hard for farmers like the Yahwehs to grow enough crops to survive year after year. We are mortal, and we always have been. One day we will all return to the soil from which we came, but in the meantime, how do we stay faithful to God's call to take care of the soil? And more specifically, how do we as people living in this urban, suburban environment, as people who don't typically drive tractors at midnight, how do we think about our deep connection to the soil? And what can we do to care for it? Well, I'm excited to announce that Fairmount Presbyterian Church has just purchased 600 acres to start a new organic farm. I'm just kidding. But I saw the eyes of a couple elders get pretty big out there. They, they must have, I must have missed that at the last session meeting. Okay, maybe we can't start a farm. But how can we think of our connection to the soil in small but intentional ways? Well, I'm actually pleased to announce that as of today, here at Fairmount, we are starting to compost Compost is an organic recycling process, one that turns our waste into healthy soil. We'll compost our food scraps and our disposable coffee cups and other single-use items. And by composting, we will take one small action to take care of the soil together. The truth is, we can't compost our way out of the climate crisis. It's a step in the right direction but God is still asking more of us. And I believe that it begins with being more intentional about remembering our connection to this soil and our call to care for it. And so I close with these words from 
the deeply spiritual Christian farmer and poet Wendell Berry, who writes beautifully about how we live our lives as people of the dirt. He says, the soil is the great connector of lives, the source and destination of all. It is the healer and restorer and resurrector by which disease passes into health, age into youth, and death into life. Without proper care for it, we can have no community. Because without proper care for it, we can have no life. To live, to survive on the earth, to care for the soil, and to worship are all bound together at the root. Amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.